This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Good everything, Nubians. Hello. Good everything. Hey, Dr. Carr, look at you. Professor Hunter, I'm out in the undisclosed location. Well, I flew into Charlotte last night. You in the the streets. Go see a little bit of the city named for Charlotte of Mettenberg, wife of George III, who said we should probably think about abolishing the trade in the slave people, which of course triggered the British colonies known as the 13 British colonies, which led to the American Revolution. So Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, Charlotte of Mecklenburg, who had at least one line of African ancestry going back to her, I think it was her great grandfather. Um, what's the name of the book? We talked about this, Un- Uncrowned Queen, Stephanie, her last name come to me in a minute, I'm not but anyway, so I'm sorry, Megan, you're not the first black royal. In fact, there was a queen. Who, anyway, let's well, take a little sip of this water. You know, and, the, and those who love Bridgerton, you you already know. Like, you know, Shonda Rhimes didn't just, you know, come up with that out of thin air. There was That's right. actually a woman that looked just like the woman that plays the queen in Bridgerton. How, hmm, you know what? Yeah, we've covered so much, haven't we? In 150, yes, right. We talked about that. Yes, 150 unbroken Saturdays you and I have been in community. And I was thinking about that. I got up like at 2 o'clock in the morning and decided to watch the uh, Zora Neale Hurston documentary on PBS. And um, so much to cover there. You know, born this month, died this month, you know, in in January. Uh, This woman, and I just think about how much she had to go through just to give people dignity. You know, uh, taking money from that white lady to go out and... uh, the white lady wanted her to do something different, but she was like, mm, thank you for the money, but I'm going to celebrate the goodness of us and got cut off, you know, and struggled the rest of her life, but never gave up. And there's a scene on the railroads because she, the video, first of all, Kasula, during the last 150 episodes, we spent Our a lot of time in Barracoon, Zora Hurst, we spent, but we got to he- see him. She took video, Dr. Mm-hmm. Carr, and there's like amazing pictures and video of us on the railroads, singing on the railroads with the rhythm to move those 900 pound planks over. And there was a scene where they're banging the nails in and it's like, it's like rhythm. It's the rhythm. So incredible. And the fixed element, the fixed element. We talked about, remember she, when, we, when we were looking at Carla Kaplan's collection, when we were reading Barracone, we saw those letters that Zora was writing back to Franz Boas, to Carter Woodson. Send me some money. I'm buying equipment. She bought that car. She, I mean, but but she was dealing with technology early on. And thanks to that, we can see this stuff. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and to be a woman, a single woman out in the oh. streets by in herself. Southern streets. Ooh. Right. With just a gun on her hip. Please don't shoot up the place. Why? Not so so she Come had just now. a gun in her waist in the car. And spinning yarns about, you know, being a bootlegger just so she wouldn't get, you know, accosted and molested and all of the things that would happen to a single woman out in the streets with all of the men on the railroads. All of them. You got to act like you know. Yes. I just I just think about us sitting here today. None of us had to endure any of the things that Zorno Hurston did. None of us had to endure any of the things Kasula had to Mm. endure. And many of us are not fulfilling our purpose. And I think part of being here, 150 unbroken unbroken just incredible uh saturdays with you just inspires me to know 
that there's so much work to be done, but we are capable and uh, there's nothing that's going to get in the way. If Zora didn't stop, I ain't stopping. That's, that's right. All I'm saying. So no, thank that's you. right. No, thank you. thank you. I mean, this is the this is the space. It's something in 150 consecutive weeks. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that uh, the other day, Rance Fanon, uh, who forced most very famously said that each generation's uh, obligation, responsibility is out of relative obscurity because we're all born and then here we are um, to identify its mission, fulfill it or betray it. Mm. And think about how we have conversations and we work so hard and we fight. But if we don't receive the wisdom from previous generations, we keep repeating the same kind of things. Then we'll say things like, you know, we keep doing the same things. What did you learn from what was received? No. So, I mean, we this this is an exercise in remembering. And we've been doing it now 150 in a row. And, of course, now with Narrative in Nubia, it's the maroon space has been established. So, you know, we, we'll talk about this today so hey everybody i love it i love it um so this week uh the governor of florida became yet another uh person standing in opposition of true knowledge uh mm-hmm. <laughs> and banning crt i think about that thing governor in arkansas uh <laughs> that also one of her first seven executive orders included banning crt but it's not even CRT. And then I'm looking at all of the states. Was from- it CRT or BLT? Well, she would never ban BLT. Yes. But go ahead. There's bacon in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, Iowa, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, and Tennessee all have uh, banned critical race theory, which is really just a teaching of American history. Uh, they banned it. Um, and also, uh, there are other states like Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, Montana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, Washington state, West Virginia, and Wisconsin all have bills moving through their state legislature to, uh, stop the teaching of history. So this space, I bring that up to say this space becomes critical because where do people, if you live in Florida, there's no place that you can send your child right? If you send your child to public school and this is hurts white children more, I think, because black children going to learn their history. But well, I don't know. know. Since we you all know who Cardi B is, but I'm not so sure about doing it hurt. Oh, I'm just saying. For real though? For yeah, real? of course. I mean, I mean, we know that. We know that. You know that. I mean, it's hard. You know, it's so funny. Yesterday's Financial Times, there was an article, um, Janai Ganesh wrote an article, um, podcasts aren't as smart as you think. And he's he's writing about, he says, he, he gave a definition of podcast and said a podcast is a, uh, a, 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 what does he say? Um, it's a companionable and even intimate background noise as one does something else. <laughs> He said, because it creates, it lulls us into the illusion. He says, people conflate listening to podcasts with the hard grind of learning, of reading and thinking and learning. And so, you know, people think, well, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm learning. No, you're actually gardening and you're walking and you might pick up an occasional thing. But these podcasts are machine with a little music, which is why the, the decision you made at the onset of our journey together and collectively not to surround it with a lot of. 
I mean, no shade on anybody. You know, best of luck, especially to L. Joy Williams. I saw Roland finally got uh, nominated for uh, an Image Award. But then I saw some others, and I'm like, best podcast. And I'm like, okay, no shade on y'all, but nice graphics, music. I'm saying, yeah, don't confuse. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> One of the things Ganesh says, we're willing to do almost anything other than study at length, other than read at length. And so what we've been doing, it's a lot there. There's a lot more to unpack. We'll talk about some of that going back over it. But yeah, in Florida or anywhere else. Wait, wait, you go on, um, I, I bristle every time somebody's like, I love your podcast. And I was like, mm, I don't have a podcast. Not a podcast. Not, this is not a podcast. Not a podcast. There, there are clips from a three hour Monday through Friday live radio show. And then there's In Class with Car which is right. a whole other thing. Um, That's right. That's there's, right. There's no podcast in this. And That's I bristle right. at it because the work that goes into this and the radio show is not, not the same. And it's funny because I work in a company right now that that's all they're pushing. They like, you know, they want to move away from the radio, more podcasts, more podcasts. It's easy. It's easy to monetize. You know, we got people out here getting offered fifty million dollars for a podcast. Oh, no question. Over four years, hundred million dollars. Uh, the same company just spent a hundred and fifty million dollars for a podcast network from somebody that don't nobody watch on TV. I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. A hundred and fifty million dollars. Wow. Entertainment. To, to completely erase any desire to know and to actually go after knowledge. It exactly. is it's scary though, Dr. Carr, because I exactly. feel at some point, you know, i we're, we're preaching to the converted people who are in class with car right now. Y'all are part of the solution. But there's a whole lot of folk that know Cardi B and don't know Zora Neale Hurston. And I don't no know. No question. That. Well, that's what that's what we have. You should know. I mean, and and you know, like we talked about over the arc of, of our journey to date, this is the front porch. We invite people in and, you know, going back through the archive and narrative, you know, not only, you know, th this, what we're doing now is, was the first in terms of narrative, but it's not the only now. It's with 14 separate classes and counting. I mean, 14 separate classes and counting that take us through the whole kind of universe, what, what Toya and Falola calls the knowledge cosmos. We're going to talk about that a little bit. You know, Jim Bays and Cora, we got music in there to Dr. Carver's classroom. You're talking about our health through growing our health and consuming our foods and what are the best ways to deal with that, the global African presence. Of course, in class with Carr, including an annotated in class with Carr. There will be 150, you know, up there by the end of the day. Um, we added this one. Our intro class, Introduction to Africana States class, shout out to everyone here who were in the over 2,000 folk who came together on Monday. We'll talk more about that with our friend and brother and brilliant uh, author, professor, institution builder, Daniel Black. Dan, just remarkable. Um, we've got the, you know, the Johnson Moses Math Lab coming online. So mathematics, you know, young people, old people, everybody who has math phobia in the words of the great um, Lonnie Shabazz, uh, formerly Lonnie Cross, Lonnie X, uh, the great master teacher of mathematics, as he told my friend Leslie Fenwick when they were on faculty at Atlanta University Center. When she said, I want to learn this math, and I don't know, I've had a difficult time with math. I got one question for you. What, do you want to learn math? Answer is yes. Well, you come to narrative, and we've got the Johnson Moses math lab. And uh, 
Professor Hunter, I suspect then that would be what Katherine Johnson and Bob Moses. He's very deliberate. Yes. You know, yes. Very deliberate answers, right? Mansa Musa's goal. How do we deal with wealth? Are we just talking about black entrepreneurship? No, we're talking about wealth building and community wealth building, not just to have uh, vulgar displays of accumulation, but how do we leverage our resources? Uh, Maroon's medicine chest, of course, the uh, the Titan, the great Sunyata Amen. I mean, how do we uh, really curate what we ingest and how does that get us in tune with our bodies and ourselves? Um, the Metanetra class, nothing like it in the world, Mario Beatty. We were talking last week about the possibility. I said, you know, you've done a grammar. You've done many grammars now. The first grammar by an African in the United States for Metanetra was the great Akmi Ra, who was actually from this region. Well, I I came south. So uh, he's in Maryland, was in Maryland. He's an ancestor now, Akmi Ra, life like Ra, translating Metanetra. And let the ancestors speak. I said, Mario, you got a grammar now. You got a grammar now. All these lessons, and of course, as we said uh, week before last, first week of class back at, at Howard, the, the brother came in and said, uh, I had to enroll for this class because my daddy is taking your metanature class in Nubia, and he told me to come and sign up for the in-person version. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, and of course, we've got uh, Michaud's Media Mansion, coming in, I mean, not just film, all types of cultural production convening into that space. All this is in narrative, Octavia's Observatory. Oh, we're gonna talk about the Afro future. Well, we got the Afro past, the Afro present, so let's deal with the Afro future. Octavia's Observatory, unlocking astrology. Our brother Sam, you know, we go all the way back, Reynolds, Sam Reynolds, and so, you know, we go all the way back in terms of how do we look at the stars and how do the stars look at us? Because we're all part of the same material reality and then when where the money resides what the money yeah yeah we need money right i mean we have a subscriber base in there too but i'm gonna talk more about that in a minute and then finally of course yoga with Lindsay. you know we have to train our bodies and be at center and in peace now so that's 14 and counting separate and connected at the same time spaces to enter that once you come off the front porch and come into the house, we have that space. So, you know, I, I, I like the puffer fish in Florida. I embrace Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, who is, a, um, well, of course, he's a racist. I mean, that, that should go without saying. Oh, I should mention, of course, there's so many other things in Nubia, but a narrative, the overarching. But I, I should mention, Prof, uh, one of the writers you have recruited to the work. Uh, I was reading College Nay Lacey's article that she published yesterday, DeSantis Bans Learning. Uh, by the way, the hub, could you say a word about that? The hub is, uh, that's really a convening. I mean, I'm thinking about news, but man, could you say a little bit more about it? Because a lot of people are on YouTube, like we don't know about the hub. You talk about Well, you know, the hub.news, I don't talk about it much because it's evolving in real time. And part of what I do on a regular basis is demonstrate what it looks like to build something from scratch. No question. You know, whether we're talking about Urban View, which existed as a channel, but as a cohesive unit where talk empowers and becomes action, it wasn't there until I got there eight years later. We are looking at um, 10 shows that 
you know, I brought to the table. Uh, next I saw week. you put Reese on when she announced it on Roller Show Thursday night. She said, yes. I got a show coming on yes. Saturday. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, but you know, people come through, they 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 deposit no their seeds, they they bring their bricks, and then I feel like you know, we need more of that. So, Reese will have a live right. show on Saturday, starting next Saturday, and sure, Michael Singleton will also be there because we're not monolithic, you know, no young question. brother Morehouse grad who's a conservative Republican, gun toting, loving person. Uh, you know, and it kind of rounds out our Saturday lineup, which is live calling and all of that. But I envision me being there with a radio show wasn't enough. Right. So mm. I look at the club the same way. You know, there's there's places where you're going to click on something where people talking about snatching edges and talking about people, you know, smoking <laughs> Robinson out there spilling the beans and, you know, and it's sexy. And we're going to click on it and give it all the algorithms. But right. what would it look like to have a space that celebrates us wise and is not driven by the algorithms because we have we're, we're abundant. We're not dependent on the algorithms and we're building building writers, you know. Slowly but surely bringing on folk. Um, where do we have training grounds? Because I came up in a space where I had many, many people who were pouring into me. That doesn't exist for the young journalists out there. And all of no. these journalism institutes are funded, much like the way Zorno Hurston was funded, with a particular perspective. What yeah. would it look like to evolve in real time a news outlet? You know, you think about Zuckerberg buying, was it? No, no, Bezos buying the Washington Post. And now right. Elon Musk taking over Twitter because these are media giants that they want to control. So where, where are our media giants? And don't tell me the root and the griot because even those are driven by clicks and algorithms. Clicks and algorithms. And the so, language is not, and you got to have a compromise. I mean, reading reading Kyla's piece, it's, it, it's plainly written. It's effective. And yet she doesn't sacrifice nuance. That's a difficult thing to do. You gotta learn that. So you gotta be trained up in that. Right. Facts. That's right. That's and right. we got a Howard grad, Shayla, uh, who's been doing a lot of the history. She put up yes. yesterday, uh, William Rubin Pettiford. Um, on, I didn't man. know who, I didn't know who he was. I was like, come on, Shayla. The first black person to own a bank and the first person to own a bank in Alabama. Yes. Right. First yes. owner of a bank who happened to be black, minister, educator. William Rubin Pettifer. So you're going to get a little history. You're going to get, you know, all of the things. And, but it's evolving. You know, I was just, I called a Yara who uh, is one of my editors or actually editor in chief. And I said, should we have an office somewhere, you know, where we convene? And she, Oh, was that's like, interesting. What'd she say? She was like, wherever it is, I'm moving. Let's go. Come on. We need to have that. You know, cause I was watching that, that thing, this guy uh, who offered the $50 million to this guy that I never heard of before trying to explain the contract and he's sitting in this gluttonous beautiful office i was like where did they get 50 million dollars <laughs> you know it's like right oh, uh, oil billionaires invested to make sure that their message because this is how this world is about propaganda you got to have control over your media gotta you gotta be able to push things out into the universe and we can push things out into the universe through the hub.news and also magnify uh messages that need to be magnified and that's no uh, question about that the more to come but more, more to come more to come but i mean when you go on the narrative page and you see this display of convened uh thinking work and we have these conversations weekly as part of that expanding universe what you open with and what kyle is writing about on ron DeSantis is a challenging thing to be sure but every generation has to out of relative obscurity, identify its mission, fulfill it, or betray it. And so 
Certainly we don't face what Kasula faced. We don't face what Zora faced. We don't face what previous generations faced in the same way, but we face things that they didn't face. And we understand that history is cyclical, history uh, is spiral. Our experiences aren't the same as our ancestors and won't be the same as those who come after us in time and space, but they are connected. And, and, and so, you know, I embrace DeSantis. I really, uh, I really embrace it because uh, this funky settler project has to be renegotiated. And he's making it easier for us, believe it or not. I mean, he's not man enough to have fought in any type of physical war, civil war, revolutionary war. Uh, he doesn't fool anybody, even though he has a Ivy League history degree and an Ivy League law degree. He certainly goes and I'm sure he tells his tailor, I need this suit to be just a little too big because I'm trying to reach the corn pone farmer who thinks somehow I have something in, in common with them, even though I am the son of immigrants from Italy. And then, by the way, they have an AP Italian uh, history class and Spanish and German. And ja Japanese. Japanese, having been banned, as Kyla writes about. And of course, we know that this AP course won't be banned once they go to court, but that isn't the point. Ron DeSantis, uh, would you be surprised? I mean, we know he's going to run president, but would you be surprised if he were able to win? This thing usually doesn't, these kind of things don't really translate. Trump was, of course, but this isn't Trump. This guy has no charisma. I'm wondering how long it would be in a long grinding primary season before these corn antics would, uh, I mean, because he was beaten, of course, by Andrew Gillum. Uh, they stopped counting the vote. They suppressed vote. And even though he said, well, he's elected and reelected in a landslide. No, talk to those sisters and brothers in the, in the, in the Florida state legislature. We didn't come out to vote. You combine that with 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 suppression and what looked like a landslide was really an engineered. I wonder if that will translate in a fifty state campaign. Uh, I mean, you know, we're in a strange place. I I put nothing past anything, and when you brought up war, that's Facts. why I popped in. I popped in. I had a conversation yesterday with Pete Dominic, and, and he was talking about his advocacy and his, uh, you know, Lily White enclave, and you know how he was fighting in the school board, and I was like, but did you fight like John Brown? Because his family got. Uh -huh. No, and no, no disrespect because any no fight disrespect. is good. It's good, but I it made me think like while he was talking, where the John Browns uh, today? You know, and I'm I'm not saying you know because his family got threatened. He was like, I had to back down. The people who are not gonna back down no matter what because it is the right thing to do. Oh. Not that anyone should put themselves in harm's way. I'm not saying that, but where the Nat Turners? I'm just where the democracies. I'm just. Oh, Ask the question, what does they're it look real. like in 2023? I'm not advocating for any violence or any kind of uprising or what happened at the Capitol. I'm asking philosophically even. Uh, no, where, I agree. Well, actually, I was looking the, to see, this is yesterday's paper. The Because um, we are in war. That's what I popped no in. No question. Well, you this, saw this, the, what DeSantis did, this is, that's an act of war to, to completely obliterate Africans' contribution in this country because no reason, because you don't want your children to learn that they weren't the ones that actually built the country. That's a, to me an act of war. It's an outward act of war. It is an attempt. I mean, it's a spitball to be sure, but I wonder how far, and by the way, I was, just, I was looking for the story because I, I don't have the young man's name here. Uh, the uh, white guy in his early thirties who was killed in the forest uh, outside of Atlanta where they want to build Cop City. He was shot and uh, he claimed they claimed that 
uh, he was shot by police friendly fire, but he, they were out there literally occupying the woods to stop this movement to build this huge police training facility. And so in terms of John Brown's, there are people willing to put their life on. Did you see him? I don't see his name. No, I see it. I got it. I got it. Uh, okay. I got the story. Uh, but of course, the name is not at the top of the story. That's all right. Uh, I, I but, but it is a story. What was it like about, about three, four days ago? Three, something? four days ago. Uh, come on, New York Times. Why wouldn't that be at the top? It says protester was killed. Just protester. Well, you and know. I'm at the fourth paragraph, the fifth paragraph. His name is not there. They're not going to name the. Now, everybody name. listening and observing this, this is a teachable moment. This is a journalist giving us a lesson on how journalism should be done and how the alleged paper of record has buried. Wow. <laughs> so, Brian so, what Kemp? was the purpose? Uh, okay, the mayor on? Andre Dickens is in there. The police, the, the, with, no, Andre the name before everybody else. Yeah, let me uh, let me go to another story. <laughs> Man, right, right. but you know, but go. that's interesting because again, you, I mean, it's really underscoring the point. And this is something we we want to think about. When we started 150 Saturdays ago, we were kind of improvising, but there was a fixed element and there was a variable element. The fixed element is the consistent attention to quality. The attention to quality and then we get this conceptual categories we introduce we keep going the the variable is whatever the moment we're talking about is including this one but now what you're demonstrating is you know there's there are techniques involved in everything including journalism you found it i found it on twitter uh because nbc said they were pending uh notification of the family is it manuel Tehran, uh aka tort or tort torta guta uh, was shot and killed by police. His name is Manuel T E R A N. Okay, uh, I saw his picture. He looked like a white man to me. Okay, well, uh, so I mean, Spanish speaking white man. But either way, yeah, I mean, but he lost his life in terms of you know. I mean, you, you see people out there willing to put their lives on the line, and people who are occupying this space is like y'all not gonna build this police training facility. And a lot of people are on board who look like us, people of African descent, and there are a lot of people protesting that 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 cop city. But you know. The when you ask the question, where are the John Browns? There are people willing to put their lives on the line, and we all have roles to play. And you know, the the DeSantis story, he certainly wants to threaten education, but he can't. He can do damage, but he's a puffer fish. You know, puffer fish get real big to scare off predators, but that's all they have is to puff. And then once the puff go away, they get snatched up. He's, he's a puffer fish. I mean, are, are they poisonous though? You can't eat they them. They are poisonous. They okay. are poisonous, which means you shouldn't ingest them. And I don't think we should ingest Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a distraction. That's all <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's a distraction. You know, I mean, let, let's think about this. Uh, you know, a couple of things. You, you don't want to think about this. Um, as Kyla Lacey was writing, you know, this came from the Florida Department of Education their Office of Articulations, and they said, you know, DeSantis is saying, and they sent a letter to the college board, the course inexplicably is, is, is inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. Well, you know, I could take that personal as one of a whole lot of academics and K-12 teachers and, and just a whole lot of folk who worked on that course. You know, I, I played a very, 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 very small role you know, summer before uh, last summer, spending uh, time back and forth on the class, 
going over the curriculum after it had been, have drafts had been produced, you know, and I pushed very hard to make sure, I wasn't alone. I mean, there are many others, uh, Herman Bennett. I'm just thinking about people who were in the cohort when I, where I was invited to the conversation. I pushed very hard, stopping short of trying to introduce the African States conceptual categories framework because I knew that that wasn't this. We'll come back to that in a minute and why this is what we're doing is so important. I pushed very hard along with others to make sure that this course did not start in the diaspora, didn't start with enslavement, and it doesn't. Um, and we talked about that, remember, uh, probably uh, maybe uh, about three or three, four months ago. Actually, a little bit longer than that. It was back in June when the teachers of the pilot course, and that's what's being, it was piloted back in the fall, the first iteration, uh, were convened in uh, D.C. In fact, uh, we went live in office hours that night. Um, in Nubia because Mario and I, Dr. Beatty and I both spoke to those high school teachers. They had the first teacher training convening at Howard in Washington. The, uh, the college board wanted to do it that way. Again, I, I embrace, I embrace that punk DeSantis. He, I, I think, I, 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 I don't, you know, really spend much time thinking about him, but I embrace him. Uh, I embrace his flop sweat and his pretend ignorance, uh, his lack of charisma in general general kind of diminished capacity. Uh, I embrace him because he is a worthy representative of what is dying in this world. White supremacy, his bleats, uh, his, his, his ancestors are from Italy, uh, as, would, as are the ancestors of Samuel Alito, another uh, defender of white nationalism on the Supreme Court of the United States. And understand that what is at stake for the, the Alitos and the DeSantis of the world is literally their existence as they imagine themselves. And their opinions of us really don't matter if we make sure that they don't matter. These are, these are men of little consequence. And so uh, when we both, Mario and I, spoke to and with the teachers of the pilot AP course, these teachers, are some of them will find themselves under assault. There were some sisters who piloted it at Houston uh, folks in Florida, folks from all over the country. And if you are a high school student, and you're absolutely right, Prof, if you're a high school student in Florida right now, it's a pilot program. But once that course has been established as an offering alongside other advanced placement courses, you can take that course. The grade you get will be an enhanced grade, helps your grade point average, which may boost your opportunity to get a scholarship. It also, if you score above a certain number on the AP place on the AP exam in that course, you can transfer that credit into college. So, uh, Mr. DeSantis is, as you say, kneecapping any student who would take that AP course once it is established. Right now, you can't because it's a pilot. It's a lot of saber rattling, but 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 there's a larger uh, there's a larger element at work, as you say, you evoke. Zora Hurston, and we know on Monday night, I took this with me because I'll be back by then, and of course, we know Monday night in Nubia, we continue our Africana Studies course with framing question three. What are some similarities and differences in practices of self-determination among Africans in the United States and our counterparts throughout the hemisphere, really the world? In fact, I spent a great deal of time yesterday um, revisiting key events in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries on the continent of Africa. So we can kind of align that 
lot of stuff going on. You know, we think about, you know, while Africans are being taken out of West Africa by the Spanish, the Portuguese, and then the English, that's around the same time, early 17th century, 1600s, so think 1619 project. Well, that's around the same time that Nzinga in Angola is pushing back against the Portuguese and creating liberated zones, even as she has her own internal conflicts and, and, and challenges in the governance formations around the Angola people, the Angola nation. All that's happening at the same time. That's why this course is so important. But um, think about this because DeSantis lives in a state that, of course, has its origin as a settler state in the settler colonies of the, the Spanish, La Florida. And it was Florida where Africans ran. And of course, Kyla talks about some of that, uh, some of that, some of that history. And we will talk on Monday night about uh, several iterations of uh, of resistance. In fact, of course, Black Movements in America is our key text for Monday night, and the great Cedric J. Robinson. And Robinson writes on page thirteen of Black Movements in America, the first three chapters of which we will use to anchor our conversation on Monday night in the in the intro class. He says the first African Maroons in North America. And he's quoting here Herbert Aptheker, who wrote about Maroonage in, in North America. He says, the first African Maroons in North America, Aptheker informs us, predated Jamestown by 82 years. They were slave insurrectionists from an abortive Spanish colonizing effort in the present North and South Carolina in 1526. Shout out to my friend and brother Sam Livingston at Morehouse College, who has convened a group of HBCU scholars to put together a project that is anchored in that early 16th century. And he quotes Aptheker at length where he says, the settlement consisted of about 500 Spaniards and 100 Negro slaves. Trouble soon beset it. Finally, probably in November, several of the slaves rebelled and fled to the Indians. Coming back to that in a minute. The next month, what was left of the adventurers, some 150 souls, returned to Haiti leaving the rebel Negroes with their Indian friends as the first permanent inhabitants other than the Indians in what was to be the United States. Now that's nothing to be proud of in terms of, we were the first here. No, the indigenous people were here and you were only here because you got snatched. And so it's nothing to be proud of. However, what is clear is that uh, Governor Pufferfish with his ill-fitting suits and downplayed Ivy League degrees counting on the ignorance of whiteness to somehow buoy him to the highest elected office in the fracturing nation state we call the United States, which is not in fact a nation, but a federal state that they're going to tear apart with this foolishness. And I encourage them very strongly to hurry up and get on with it. DeSantis is launching this Klan adjacent resurgent white nationalist fascist effort in a state that is increasingly not white that has been decimated in terms of political education and consciousness, but has deep roots in resistance to white supremacy. And the kind of things that are in that course, that advanced placement African-American studies course, that he is terrified of, and I agree with him, the course, it significantly lacks educational value. If you're an ignorant white supremacist who doesn't want to learn anything, that is absolutely a factual statement. The educational value they have is to celebrate whiteness. This class doesn't do that. And so it is an absolute threat. 
Um, it's a threat to be in a class in Florida where you will have a conversation about uh, Gracia Real de Santa Teresa de Mose, or de Mose, Fort Mose. This is the place that was established in the early 18th century, around the 1730s, where you see African people, African people a century, about 110 years, roughly speaking, uh, after this escape to La Florida from the Spanish with the indigenous people, you see African people begin to hear that, you know, if you can get to Florida from the Carolinas, North and South Carolina, then they will protect you, the Spanish, from these English trying to chase you into that place. So, so many Africans start bleeding, escaped Africans start bleeding into Florida that, uh, you know, the Spanish are like, look, what are we going to do? So they send a message to Charles II in Spain. What are we supposed to do? Or we're not going to return you to the English. Those are our rivals. And Charles II initially says, you know what? Anybody come in there, if they escape, they free. See, DeSantis is terrified because, you know, his ancestors at the time we're talking about were still in Italy, probably uh, sorting through dung for whatever undigested bits of vegetables they could find to consume. Or, well, let me not speculate because I don't know Andrew DeSantis' history. I know where they weren't, though. They were not in swamps of Florida resisting white supremacy, as were the Seminoles. They were not like Negro Abraham uh, at Negro Fort, which is another place we'll, we'll talk about. They were not like the Manding leader, Francisco Menendez, in 1738 at Fort Mose. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> in fact, it's a very good book, Africa in Florida, by Armando uh, Carlson and uh, Ruben Ponyer. And of course, I don't have my library with me. I'm on the road, but if you look that book up, University Press of uh, Arkansas, University Press of New York. No, the University Press of Florida. Puffer fish, puff, the magic puffer fish. You can't stop the rain, baby, but you should try because what it does is heighten our awareness uh, in a way where the stakes are kind of low because you're losing court. Just stop woke act. All that stuff's going to get thrown out, but you have heightened our uh, attuned rather our sensibility, you're helping us understand you are not as dangerous as you would like us to believe you are unless we make you that dangerous. And uh, we're going to stop you. Um, in fact, there's a great children's book. I can see it in my head. Uh, it's at the house. Of course, I don't have Glennette, uh, Glennette Turner called Fort Mose. You can get it for your children. Beautiful book. If I, if I was at the house, I'd show it to you. Maybe I'll make a note. Um, and then there are a number of books on, on these other iterations. There's the Negro Fort at Prospect Bluff that the Africans create to battle. This is all Florida. And of course, we know that uh, Maron or Maroon is the root word of Cimarron. Cimarron is the root of, of the word uh, Seminole, the Seminoles, Florida State Seminoles, right? Mascot. Shout out to the graduate of Stillman College, Deion um, Sanders, who was a Florida State Seminole. And it's very important for us to understand that because when we think about these, these challenges, we have to understand that they are only challenges that we let them be. But So let me set aside the puff for a minute to, 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 to get at the heart of this issue. When, when I was reviewing curriculum alongside my colleagues from all over the country, and then sitting as we talked about that office hours after Mario and I came out, of the, the the conversation and I was headed home. So we did it live until I could switch back, get, get home to continue. 
what really presented itself as a challenge, the light went on for Mario before it did for me. And when he told me what he was thinking, and we shared that in real time as we were sitting there, it was like, damn. See, the fight for black studies at the university level, what we now call Africana studies, at the university level, that really accelerated the 1960s as, as a fight to get departments, programs, to get units where you could hire faculty and create cultural centers and these kind of things. That fight has seen many setbacks in the almost 60 years since it started in the mid to late 60s. When you have an Africana Studies course, let's say an Introduction to Africana Studies course at a university, mostly HWCUs, but also some HBCUs, including Howard, including Morehouse, and many other schools, but not as many as we would like. We would like all 100 plus HBCUs to have departments, but they don't. That having been said, when you have a course there, the dream is to align that course with a disciplinary matrix, a framework, a way of asking how questions, how do we undertake study of Africana, that will link those courses to our communities, our global communities, because that should be the source of our study. Anyway, we're coming at in a minute. This is why this in-class journey we're on is so important. We're going to talk more specifically about in-class in a second. That's the fight of the university, but here's the, here's the trick. The university can't be reformed. University is put in place. In fact, a, you know, the university is put in place like the corporation, like constitutional democracy, like what was the papacy that becomes the modern church. These are set up to reinforce hierarchies. And each one of those hierarchies I just mentioned comes out of Western Eurasia or Europe. So the, the, the European church, first the Catholic church, then the Protestant and so forth, is set up to centralize authority and power so that those who are at the center of the power can reap the benefit. And it's all based on this negotiation. You know, you say the right magic words, you get to live forever. Now that is not the prophetic Christianity of Freddie Haynes who just spent the better part of this last week as the Jeremiah Wright fellow at Howard University lecturing the students, interacting with students. I stood on the corner there of 6th, right at the gate with Freddie Haynes and uh, Brad Grant, my brother Brad Grant, who's on the faculty in, uh, in architecture, who actually grew up with Freddie Haynes, who's a little younger than him, but uh, with Freddie Haynes' father and mother, Freddie Haynes' father, Freddie Haynes Jr. minister. And so I, I got to sit there, stand there and listen to this family history. More importantly, I got to stand there with two black men, with three other black men, younger black men, teenagers and early 20-somethings, listening to the conversation. See, that's intergenerational work. That is the mouth-to-ear history. That's that stuff that Hampate Ba is talking about. That's, stuff, that's that stuff that uh, Kola Abambola and his father, Wande Abambola, is talking about. That's mouth-to-ear. That's medu. That is speech. That is what we are to do. And up until COVID, the center for doing that was the physical presence, physical presence at the university. Now, because of what we are building here, we can accentuate that physical presence. We can almost reconfigure it so that this is the point of departure. More on that in a second, I'm building to a point where I'm making. He's a whole man. So at any rate, Freddie Haynes, that's not the prophetic Christianity of Freddie Haynes. That's not the prophetic Christianity of the man who uh, gave his, uh, allegedly, although apparently he popped in later that day, virtual, uh, virtually, to make some closing comments at the uh, conversation Freddie Haynes was having on uh, Tuesday night. Jeremiah Wright, 
who announced in May in person at Howard, this would be his last public sermon and he was turning over the keys for his always Martin Luther King weekend Sunday uh, sermon at Howard to Freddie Haynes, his uh, spiritual son, cultural son, son in the ministry. And Freddie Haynes then preached on that May. Well, Freddie was back to, to fulfill his obligation as the, as the inaugural Jeremiah Wright fellow. And as we stood there having conversation, you know, it just reinforced that, you know, what we're talking about in terms of this hierarchy that comes out of the West, that's not the Christianity. It's not the prophetic Christianity. It's not the Christianity of James Cone or Katie Geneva Cannon. That's not the uh, the way of knowing to expand that concept of a Jeremiah Wright or a Samuel DeWitt Proctor. It's not the way of knowing of Renita Weems or Vashti McKenzie. It's not the way of knowing that because see, that way of knowing anchors itself in those who have been oppressed as Howard Thurman might say, Jesus and the disinherited in particular comes to mind as one of the texts. But, but nevertheless, in the Western ways of knowing, in the Western social structures, in the Western governance formations, if we're talking about internal Western dialogue and conflict, it's the church. Out of the church comes the university system, which is based in the papacy initially, same format, is the corporation in terms of the business enterprise and, and, and expanding capitalism and the idea of profit over people, all that, and its so-called constitutional democracy, making people think they're participating in something that in fact is a real game from the onset when you read these Western constitutions. And, um, you know, it's a good book on the legal profession called uh, The Medieval Origins of the Western Legal Profession by James Brundage. And I always have my students at Howard Law read the introductory, the introduction uh, to the book. And we talk about these structures because we don't do that at law school. We kind of take the law as it exists in the West as an article of faith, almost like reading the Bible, and then just reinforce the myth, but I, I'm going, as I said, I'm going somewhere with this. The university can't be saved. It can be used. It, you can extract value from it. COVID began to show us what is and isn't necessary in it, even as tuition continues to skyrocket. So as we're riding back from the session with the advanced placement teachers, uh, most of whom were of African descent, black women and men, many of whom veteran educators in that room were, you know, decades, collectively decades of experience, centuries really, because if you've got 50 teachers and all of them been teaching more than 10 years, most of them anyway, some of them 20 and 30 years, you're talking about anywhere from a half century to a millennium. And just being with teachers who know how to teach, grappling with these questions are being raised by this AP course. And we talked about that. Y'all can go into archive. I'm talking about archive in a second in narrative, and you can see us talk about that. You know, we did that during office hours. But the thing occurred to me after it occurred to Mario. Mario said, so if these young people take this AP African-American studies course in high school and score a high enough score on the AP exam, they will transfer that credit into college. Prof, you've got students at Hunter, I've got students at Howard, we all of us who teach at university have students like this. If you transfer a course and you get credit for a course you took in high school into college, do you think those students would take that same course in college? No, it's all about the credits. Who the hell would do that? Exactly. <laughs> no. 
So when Mario said that, I was like, damn, bro. So these kids, if they get this and come to Howard, they're not, they not going to take our intro class. Because I already had the AP class in high school. So yeah, I missed it to the provost. Tony Wutuk, provost at Howard. So while we're celebrating this, let us never forget that the vast majority of our children, the vast majority of high school students, period, in the United States, but the vast majority of our children not going to take the AP course. Uh, okay, there we are. Woo, we I, like, oh, I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. I you sure to... did. And Jesus spoke uh, in with my mama and said, uh, hey, stop. <laughs> not today, way. Satan. Not today. But not you stopped, today, you stopped with a complete sentence, though. Huh? You stopped with a complete sentence that made us have to think about that. So it, it ended with the majority of the kids will not be taking the AP course. And then we and have to in that. And fade to black. This is a good enough time as any. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Hunter. Thank you, Jesus, as my mom might say. And thank you, Catherine Hayes Carr, who, of course, on January 19th, 2022, joined the ancestors. And shout out to my sister, Gussie, my niece, Eden, my brother-in-law, Randy, my nephew, Ellington, my brother, Jeff. And we all convened just a small gathering on uh, Thursday night. Uh, they've set up a couple of shrines and uh, spirit centers in the house in Houston, including the one where um, our, uh, we had in class from when I had spent that weekend with National Black United Front. I was in the room when my mom made transition, of course, with the picture of the James Thrill Kill, the great artist out of Nashville, and over my shoulder. So we did we did a ritual. It was the year anniversary. And it's a beautiful thing. You should do that, you know, on your ancestors' birthdays or the days they made transition. You just pause. And again, we use the technology. So yeah, my mama, and Jesus got together. Mom said, uh-uh, baby. Okay, hold on. Are you, are you, oh, Andrew DeSantis, people trying to stop this? No problem. Let them, let them pause. But right after that sentence, and scene. Exactly. Thanks, Mom. So in the process, yeah, we had to think about that. So really what's at stake? You see, part of the university system, in fact, the whole reason for the university system is not to create access, but to restrict it. Universities are for cultivating a manager class in a hierarchy. Everybody not going to school. And then they get to the point where we all say, everybody not made for college. No, everybody was never supposed to be made for college. You're training doctors and lawyers and people with degrees to come around and manage the rest of these people. It's like the corporation. It's like representative democracy or constitutional democracy. It's like the church. There's a hierarchy. You got to come through me. Who is me? With people in power. No problem. Well, when 150 weekends ago, Professor Hunter, you said, yeah, let me press record. Okay. We embarked on a journey at the onset of an epidemic that caused the whole world to pause. And into that space, we injected something that academics have been writing about a long time. I have, I have a great deal of respect for so many people who have been thinking about this. None more uh, impactful than the great Yoruba scholar Toyin Falola. You know, I've had a chance to meet and have conversation with. Uh, Baba, Baba Tonya Falola is really remarkable. He refers to an archive as an engineered knowledge cosmos. What is an engineered knowledge cosmos and why is that important? An archive isn't just written material. An archive is, is living people 
And as I was going back through the archive and narrative of our 149 and counting moments where we spent time together on Saturdays, I thought about this in the context of two phrases that Falola introduces, conception and continuity. He says, a knowledge cosmos is a convening of knowledge, but that knowledge has a repository. There's a conception part. So when you go into narrative, you see these 149 different, I don't call them episodes, uh, convenings, 149 and counting conversations, sessions almost. That exists in time and space. It is fixed. And as I was going back through, and I've done this a couple of times now, as I was going back through, I said, if we never did another one, I could spend the next decade going back through those conversations because they're first drafts. And then when you add office hours, when you add Jim Bays and Cora's, when you add Dr. Carver's classroom, when you add Mansa Moose's wealth, when you add the Maroons medicine chest, the metanetric class, Mario's response to me when I said, man, you should write a grammar. One of the finest students of Egyptian language ever. The top one in the United States and one of the top in the world. Just been invited to Senegal in December of this year by the son of Sheikh Hunter Joe. We probably gonna go. He invited Mario. Mario asked me if I wanted to go. I said, man, y'all come talk about Sheikh Hunter Joe. He, he talked to Sheikh Mbaki, who we both met in Paris when we were working on our dissertation since Theophilo Bengal was there. Let me pause and, and, and offer condolences to Dr. Ben and his family. He lost uh, one of his sons in France uh, who he had to go get the body and return to Congo. But uh, Sheikh Mbaki, the son, one of the two sons of Sheikh Hunter Joe, said, oh man, yeah, tell Greg to come. So we're probably going to be in Senegal in December. So we're going to do in class from Senegal with Sheikh Hunter Joe's son. So anyway, just letting y'all know, a little preview. But the point is that Mario Beatty has now a compendium, an archive in Nubia. Access through narrative, get to Nubia, you see the Metanetric course that outstrips any course you could take anywhere in the world in Metanetric. It is longer, it is more detailed, and here's the kicker. When I said, man, you should write a grammar. He said, it would be hard to write a grammar because I draw from so many different places. It is conversational. Toyin Falola is talking about what he calls a knowledge an engineered knowledge cosmos with two concepts. You've got the concept of being created itself, conception. So you're creating these sessions. And then you got the concept of continuity. What Baba uh, Toyin Falola is saying is, Dr. Falola, for those in the, in the social structure who see him that way, he's the University of Texas, Austin, he's really worldwide. He says, anytime you enter our archive, you change the archive by your entry because it is a living repository that you shape by what you take from it and what you bring to it. We've talked about this many times and it makes me even revisit one of the things we introduced a long time ago in terms of annotation. Talked about that a lot in, in office hours one night. The chats are annotation, but they're more than annotation. When you take the conversations we have, when you take the comments in Nubia and on YouTube and comments, those are the continuities that rewrite the archive every time somebody thinks about this. This is not a podcast. As you said, this is interactive. Tony Falola said every archive is interactive. An archive exists in time and space, but it is constantly shaped 
and reshaped by the actions taken in and upon it. Now, if you don't enter the archive, it lays fallow. I spent some time on uh, Thursday with my friend and brother Ben Talton, who is the director and new director of the Moana Spengar Research Collection Center, rather, at Howard. And we were talking about the concept of the Black University and some things like that. And, you know, young people were there listening. And, you know, I'm telling these young people, we've had this conversation many times on this campus. We had this conversation many times. But if there's no continuity, it's as if that conversation never happened. But no one said every generation must identify. Out of relative obscurity, must identify its mission, fulfill it or betray it. If you don't remember what happened before, you think you're doing something for the first time, the frustration mounts. The thing, Tony Falola is like, when you create an archive and enter that archive regularly, it is shaping you, you are being shaped. So this makes for all of us, not only conception, but continuity. But what does that mean? It becomes the hallmark grounding for communal work. Guess what that does to the university? It moves the university as concept from the center to the periphery. That's what we've been after all along. So going through the 149 and counting moments, let's just revisit this for a second. The first time we talked, it's now, <laughs> one day it'll be lower probably. That little 20 minutes we did on Ida B. Wells. He said, can I press record? I'm sitting there, you know, with my struggle haircut or lack of haircut, COVID in the high. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we trapped in the joint. The power of the pause. COVID allowed us to establish a beachhead that is literally inverting what we had before COVID in terms of the place of the university and establishing, reestablishing something that the university has worked for centuries to displace. What? Who is the authority? Our archive is us. We are a living archive. The metaphor here I would evoke is the metaphor Karen Hunter evokes all the time. We are the bricks. We are the bricks. A brick and mortar place to have a conversation is a beautiful thing. And when she said to you, you, you build the space, you name the space, I'm there. Guess what? We are already here. The physical space will also exist as something that would be nice to have, but it's not necessary to have because of that pause moment we have. Week one, Ida B. Wells. Week two, Carnegie Woodson. Because you're already, the wheels were already turning problems. About Carnegie. Week three, we got into a conversation about the Pulitzer. Remember that? We were talking about Nicole Hannah Jones, the power of prizes and value. Week four, Laurent Bennett Jr. From the onset, and I'm not going to go through Hall 149, but I'm going to mention those first 10 because week five was Dorothy Porter Wesley, who I had a chance to evoke again, sitting there with Ben and these young people. I say, every time I come in this room, I look at these ancestors around the wall, these old school teachers who are on the faculty of Howard. And Prof, as you're developing the, this, this key question of the race and the baton and the people, you know, I was sitting with Eva Dykes, the work on her. And of course, there's Georgina Simpson, and in the morning, Spengarn reading room, research uh, day room, standing there talking to Ben. I'm telling you, these cats around this wall. There's a beautiful framed portrait of Georgiana Simpson, along with a couple of dozen other faculty at Howard, all in black and white. Uh, most, if not all of them, taken by the Skirlock Studios, the famous Skirlock Studios out of Washington, D.C. So there's Walter Dyson there. There's Benjamin Brawley there. There's uh, Rayford Whittingham Logan there. There's Sterling Allen Brown there. You know, you see these women and men 
Georgiana Simpson, who's one of the first three women of African descent to get that PhD. Eva Dykes finishing first in terms of her requirements, but graduating third. These are the ancestors, but if you don't come in there and look at them, and I never go in that room without looking up. I told Ben, I thought when I came to Howard, I said, you know, man, I was going to spend most of my time in this room. I said, but then very quickly, I understood that inheriting the responsibility for continuing to build this Department of Afro-American Studies started in 1969, that I inherited. That was my center. So I've emptied 23 years of work into that space doing that. But because of the last three years, that work continues, but it is shifted from the center to the periphery. It doesn't make it any less important in that space, but now the center informs that space. This is the way it's supposed to work. We displace the, the, the control and influence of the hierarchy that was designed to keep us producing a tiny group of people to have access in order to control the rest of us. The student who takes AP African-American studies in high school and then doesn't take it on a college campus, particularly a black college campus, because they already took that. No, you didn't take it here. You didn't take it from us. But guess what? With Nubia and narrative and with what we're doing here in the public facing space like YouTube and all over, what we're doing is if you took that class while you're taking that class, puffer fish, puff, puff, I love you, brother. You're so nice. Because you ain't got no control over this. And what you don't realize, you puffer fish, is that this is the center. The AP class on the periphery, baby. You fighting a fight that ain't even a fight. And the vast majority of our children, thinking about the great Jacob Hudson Corrales, who once told us at the meeting of the National, um, uh, the National Board of Education for People of African Descent, said the vast majority of our students in the public schools. Well, guess what? The vast majority of our students who, in the schools, if every high school ordered, uh, offered AP history, yeah, they won't be taking AP history. But guess what? They all could be in here. And those values of deep study and engagement, building the living archive. So it isn't just the notion of conception, but continuity. This is where that work takes place. So we talked about Dorothy Porter Wesley in number five. And then number six, we talked about voting. This is the first 10. All these themes that we be revisiting. Now you got to go back now two and a half, almost three years. Every Saturday, every Saturday, each one of those are first draft. Up until Nubia exists exclusively in this space, which is where those conversations were being held. Week seven, remember Prof, we talked about Henry Bibb out of Kentucky. I'm, I'm mentioning this now because there are a lot of people now who here who weren't there before. There are a lot of people who are not here now in the same way that they were then because we were all a captive audience. Mm -hmm. 50,000, 100,000. 38,000, 62,000. Talk about Dave Chappelle, 200,000. Because everybody at home. Then the thing opens up, and what tries to reimpose the old way is the old hierarchy. So people say, well, now it's like maybe 20,000, 25,000, 30,000 a week on YouTube, and then you got thousands more. But guess what? We had 2,000 people in a live conversation with Dan Black building an archive around the coming and all the conversations on a Monday night. And that's just one of 14 offerings in a space that didn't exist before COVID. Why? Because in that little crack, in that little pause, we fill a maroon space. Hey, Puff, you try to stop these kids from studying maroonage. In Florida, you pump a fish. 
Yeah, we spent a month on this, baby, and you ain't got no control over that, Puff. Puff, you can't do nothing about it but shrivel up and die ideologically because that's where you're headed. That's why you're so damn desperate. We ate. We got into martial law. Why? The hillbilly riot. <laughs> and guess what? They won. Part one was January 6, 2021. Part two was Kevin McCarthy and then inserting the nuts in control of Homeland Security, in control of oversight. So they won. It took them two years, but they won. But what did they win? Well, they won the right to tear the rest of their country apart while we, not distracted, continue to build the space where we can transform so that in the wreckage of what's about to happen, we can protect ourselves and renegotiate the terms of this mess because it was always going to be renegotiated if you understand world history. So we talked about martial law and then we got into the Insurrection Act of 1807 in week nine and in session 10, one of your favorites, Prof. I think about this often. Anytime his name is invoked, we talked about the great Robert Church. Yes. You know, <laughs> you know, because you always bringing us back to how do we leverage resources for our benefit? What can we learn from previous generations that attempted to do it? Failures and successes. Can't understand out of wells without understanding Robert Church. Can't understand Mary Church Terrell without understanding Robert Church. Can't get into Booker T. Washington. You got to go through Robert Church. If you're going to go west of Tulsa and Wall Street, got to get to Robert Church. But we had to, who is Robert Church? You and your mind said, you know what? Let me give you these three words. You should know. So when you go to narrative, the you should know continues to mount the index. And out of that, the archive transforming itself begins to say it isn't just establishing it. It isn't just conception. It's continuity. So, you know, you should know, Robert Church. Well, you know what? Yeah, you should know. Well, well this is important. Yeah, okay. Well, let me guess what? Here's Catherine Johnson and Bob Moses. You're going to learn some math. Here, why? Do you want to learn math? Yeah, well, we got a space where we have moved it from the periphery to the center. So when you show up in high school, you show up in college, say, I can't do math. No, I was in Nubia. I can do math just fine. I don't know who told me I couldn't do math. You were in an institution that is based on exclusivity, not inclusion. They don't want all y'all to learn math. But here, we want everybody because we know everybody can. And we will come through that process. So I'm going to go through, you know, I want to do the first 10, but I'm going to jump to number 49. Black History Month. I was number 49. Because by then, we were on the verge you are beginning to, you've already been, you had these things in your mind for a long time, making land, have been laying the foundation for what's about to be born over the course of the next 50 weeks is Nubia, is narrative, then Nubia. In fact, week 50, we had a conversation, revolution versus reform. There are some themes, as I said at the very beginning, fixed and variable elements and rhythm. As you talked about those cats, there's Zora Hurston, and other people filmed and saw working on the rail boy. Boys, can you move it? That's the work song that we've had since we've been human in the world. We brought that song on the boats with us. It did not come from Europe. Where they were talking about No, no, no. Boy, can you Yeah, mm -hmm. that came with us. Well, that is the fixed element. That's the rhythm. These weeks have a fixed rhythm. There's a fixed rhythm to this. There's a fixed rhythm to this. And then what's the variable? What are we talking about? Some things continue to move. Revolution versus reform. This is voting. 
This is participation in politics. We've been through several election cycles, over 150 conversations we've had, and we keep coming back to some of these things because they will keep presenting themselves. Again, constitutional democracy being one of those four institutions that come out of the West, according to James Brundish, medieval origins of the, of the uh, Western legal profession, the corporation, the papacy, or the church, the whole idea of constitutional democracy and the university, hierarchical systems that we're going to bust. Why? Because they got to be bust. But you don't bust them by talking about busting them. You work very quietly. So we got to episode 50, session 50, conversation 50 was revolution versus reform. And we have to agree that we have to leave all of our tools available and use whatever tools necessary in the context. Because we are not ideologues. We're not ideologues. There are people who accuse me of not having a political philosophy. Yeah, my political philosophy was dictated by Sonia Sanchez. Yeah, but how do it free us? So if you want to walk me through historical materialism, I'll walk with you. If you want to walk me through any way of knowing, I'll walk with you. And then my question, yeah, but how do it free us? Well, if we can seize the means of production, okay, now how we, how do, okay, how you do that? We got to organize, okay, how you do that? Well, okay, well, how you do that? Do you do that? Okay, or well, if you do, come share with us, why? Because the archive we're assembling is not just about establishing an archive, it's about the continuity of continuing to build. On Monday night, with over 2,000 people having a conversation with Dan Black, people coming in, having voice-to-voice -voice conversation, I told you, in, in the UK, I come from Texas, all people from all the, and our young brother who, who summed it up with the great Bert Williams, Egbert Williams, out of the Caribbean by way of California, uh, who the social structure will call a black-faced minstrel. But when you look at him deeply and very closely at his cultural meaning-making and his ways of knowing, you understand that that man was flipping the script. Anyway, the whole conversation that was being had was being built out in the comments in the chat, the conversation. That's a living archive. So Revolution versus Reform in session 50 is just a, a public-facing iteration of these conversations we're having on and on. We're having these debates. We're having these conversations, and we're building as we're doing that. And then, of course, one of my favorites in the 149, now 150, is number 51. Because by then, Henry Louis Gates had his Black Church series on PBS, and that's important. You know, one of, one of the great phrases that have come out of our conversation is Nubia and Refill, not Netflix and chill. I saw the Netflix CEO is quitting. I saw that on FT. Anyway, the co-founder, co rather. Not CEO, co-founder. But that's great because Netflix. We're talking about Nubia and Refill. So, you know, we watched the Me Show within our gates. In fact, that's what uh, uh, was being shown in office hours. Mario and I were at the AP thing. We, we they started a little late. So, you know, that came out of a moment when, okay, I'm going to be late for office hours because I'm with the teachers who are teaching the AP African American Studies course. By the time I came on, Urias had called an audible and y'all had come together and put the Me Show silent film on. People were annotating the silent film in the chat while it was playing. Then me and Mario got in the car. I jumped on the phone, got in, came in. And out of that moment, as Toya Falola said, an archive isn't a static thing. It's a living thing. Came the idea of Nubia and Refill. Let's watch stuff together and have conversations. Because we're building the art. And we recovered Oscar Michaud, who then becomes the name for another one of the formations in narrative Michaud's media mansion. Stop playing with us. Taloya Falola is like we're built. And guess what? That's at the center. So now if you're in film studies at NYU or in middle school, learning how to operate an iPhone to make a, a, a movie, you, if you are in Nubia, already have the techniques developed 
in conversation with people from all over the world about how to approach and how to disassemble, how to edit, how to put together, all that can be built. And so when you walk into that high school, you walk into that middle school, you walk into that film studies program, you walk into that neighborhood community filmmaking initiative, like my friend and brother, the great Louis Messiah in Philadelphia with Scribe Video, where Tony K. Bambara and many others made film with him over the years. You're not coming from a position of marginality. You've already been anchored in a place that was built for you and needs you to come in and bring your knowledge. But one of my favorites, you know, PBS did a documentary. And, you know, I, I enjoy PBS. I enjoy all those places because they're social structures. And, and they realize now, particularly in the wake of the Breonna Taylor, George Floyd blood money that flowed in the streets in 2020, 2021, and now it's pretty much dried up now that they say, oh, y'all ain't gonna burn it down? Well, give me my $2 back. Anyway, in the crack though, we built this. See, y'all looking in the wrong places, enemies of our common humanity, but we're gonna say less because I know some of y'all watching, you should be afraid, you should be very afraid, but can't hear you about it. Anyway, in that moment, you know, they put more and more black stuff on. But see, here's the problem when you center these structures, corporation, university, church, in the way, the constricted way we're thinking about it, uh, constitutional democracy in the limited way. When you center that with the hierarchy, that social structure curates the people they want you to listen to. No shade on Henry Gates. No shade on him at all. Brothers fighting for the race. I, I have no reason to doubt that. But here's the challenge. You know, as we talked about extensively in, in, in session 51, I encourage y'all to go back and look at that. That was one of my favorites because I think we tied a lot of stuff together. See, when you produce something, we get to consume it. And we don't consume it like a uh, we sit there and look at it and say, well, I guess we'll, we'll help, but we'll go home. Nah. Tony Falota said the archive is made in collaboration. It's continuity. I got something to say. I grew up in a black church. So many of us did. And I sit with Jeremiah Wright, who they interviewed. But guess what? When you put it together, they're going to narrate it in a way they want you to be. And the center, the central thinking of that documentary, like every other social structure documentary in the United States of America, going to lead you back to the corporation to representative democracy, to the university. So the experts come from the university. Nah, the experts come from, are you alive? Yes, you're an expert. Oh, what? On yourself? Well, I don't know about this. Well, then do you want to know? Yeah, well then come on in here. We're gonna add what you are and know to what we know and collectively we build something. Well, I, I finished Harvard. Well, as the great Caribbean uh, autodidact, they like to call him, meaning he taught himself, but he was by all accounts more brilliant than damn near everybody else. And we talked about him during these sessions. Hen Hubert Henry Harrison said, when the heckler told him in New York, uh, I finished Harvard, who do you, what do you know? Said Hubert Henry Harrison looked at him and said, if you finished Harvard, why is it still there? And uh, I got another question for you. Uh, why, when you all graduate, do they call it commencement? Because that's when you begin. By the way, he, he embarrassed the guy. Everybody laughed at him. He was down on Wall Street. He left, whatever. Harrison had not finished a formal degree, and yet the lectures he gave in the university systems in New York and on Wall Street at noon were attended by so many people, the police had to put up barriers to stop. He's a stockbroker's day traders, and then they come to hear this black man from the Virgin Islands talk. Why? Because he, like us here, understand that if you want to know, you go get some more people who want to know, and together we build this archive. But number 51 to me was good, man. We we, we had a great time. And then number 52, Karen Hunter unveils narrative. What is narrative? <laughs> I'll tell you what it ain't. What, a puffer fish trying to ban an AP class that's going to fail in court because he's going to be president of the United States and he's just making noise, banging on the bottom. That ain't none of that. This is what we can't control. 
because every generation out of relative obscurity must identify its mission, fulfill it or betray it. And we about fulfilling the mission, which means they're inheriting the knowledge we are continuing to build. And out of that building comes action. So skip forward into the 80s. We talked about HBCUs, but by the time we got to number 84, these young people have been sleeping in tents on the campus of Howard University, the HBCU Blackburn takeover. They said, we came back because guess what? COVID restrictions have been relaxed. And whether you be a company that rented all this damn space and everybody working from home and now you panic because you keep paying money. Shout out to Midtown Manhattan. Uh, what's that city they built over there behind the Moynihan Station prop? I can't think of the name of it. All that expensive ass real estate. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, Midtown, whatever they call it. And you go through there at nighttime and or just at dusk and you see all these dark windows. These people are desperate. University's desperate too. We need this damn room board money. So the young people come back to campus, most of us are still remote. And the convergence, particularly with the fact that these buildings have been locked up now for a year and some change. So there's gonna be some mold, there's gonna be some you know things you need to remediate. I mean, some things pretty bad, other things not so bad at all. But remember, you done spent the last year and a half at home eating your cream of wheat or your puff wheat or your snack in your drawers or pajamas watching the class on your computer. Then you come back to campus like, I'm not home, I'm mad. I came here and they told me that the class is still remote. So why am I here? I could have stayed in Miami or Lagos, but now I'm here in the dorm and oh, is that a roach? <laughs> Get the tents. <laughs> the Blackburn takeover goes for months. Two ministers the whole time. They kids was out there. Because guess who else was in a tent? The chapel at Howard. They wouldn't go inside. Everybody got masks on, protocol, fresh air, whatever. It's a September, October, November. They out there in the tents too. They're on one side of the yard in tents. The young people over there in front of the student center in tents. They then took over the school center and it was exactly two ministers. You said something about them tents. My friend and brother, the great Freddie Haynes. Frederick Haynes III. Frederick Douglas Haynes III. Thank you, brother. And William J. Barber, who went over to see Man, young people oh, with Reverend Jackson, Jesse Jackson, who had no business trying to negotiate nothing, then fell, bumped his head, and now the world out, we're going to kick somebody out. Somebody bring this to a close. <laughs> so anyway, the point I'm trying to make is we covered that in session 84 to talk about HBCUs. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a second. 91 was nation versus state. That's one of my favorite conversations, just like number 50, revolution versus reform. We have to think about this concept. Is this a nation? Of course, it's not a nation. Nobody can establish that in my mind. Nation is common history, common memory, common language. And what this puffer fish in Florida that told you is that you have no educational value to me because my made up history. I'm from Italy. That's where Christopher Columbus is from. First of all, Christopher Columbus is an anglicized version of Cristobal Colombo, which is what your ancestors would have called him, or Cristobal Colon, which is what the Spanish would have called him. And since he bumped accidentally into the Caribbean, close to where you are in Florida, and it was the Spanish that the Africans escaped from and built the Maroon communities, your attempt to ban an AP class that ain't even a requirement yet, fool, is just another reminder of how hard we have to work to create these spaces so that you can ban all the damn classes. The children ain't coming to you for their education anyway. And by the way, where's my tax dollars, Puff? Puffer, where is our tax money? In other words, the sensibilities for radicalism, the sensibilities are grounded in the community, and those communities can be developed through what we are doing. In fact, they have to be that way. We can't look to these institutions to develop our sensibility. And by the way, Puff, while we talk about the AP class, a much more dangerous threat is his attempt 
to superimpose a statewide board of directors over the board of trustees on each of Florida's, I think it's 14 public colleges and universities. There's an article in Forbes magazine last February, be a year this coming February, February 1st, where it talks about the funding disparities at HBCUs. I want to mention that for a second as we go forward, because we talked about 84 HBCUs with the Blackburn takeover. We talked about some of those disparities. We saw in the news this past week, Morris Brown got $2.3 million of our tax money because Senator John Ossoff, joined by Senator Raphael Warnock out of Georgia, were able to push through $2.3 million for Morris Brown. God knows they need the money. They never closed their doors, but they were down. And now it's looking up. And that's very important at AME Church School. My alma mater, Tennessee State, got a quarter billion dollars through the racist Tennessee State Legislature. Now, why would they give them a quarter billion dollars? Well, there was at least $427 million in deferred maintenance over the last several decades. Deferred maintenance. Deferred maintenance is when you got a building and you can't keep it up. Happens a lot of HBCU campuses. Why does it look like this? Because they ain't got no money. Uh, Dion, glad you're in Colorado now. You got great facilities, but you left the ocean, the uh, sonic boom of the South. I'm sorry, brother. It's all right with you. But the $250 million that the Tennessee legislature approved last week for Tennessee State has to go to six buildings, most of which I took classes in. Alger Boswell, you know, most of these buildings named for black people. The Humanities Building used to be known as the A Building, named for Walter Strutter Davis now. I was a theater major at Tennessee State. Many plays we did in the A Building. They're going to refurbish that building. Uh, Elliott, McCord, Jackson, Halls. Now, what are they going to do with that $250 million? They're going to fix roofs. They're going to patch doors and windows. Now, my question is, who gets the contract? You're going to give it to Hillbilly Joe and his friends? Because in the legislature, they passed it. You don't get that money. going to stay. Oh, there's another building, Harold Love Senior Building. I'll talk, say less about that. But here's what they can't spend money on with the quarter billion dollars. Everybody's celebrating. Quarter billion dollars. Okay, that's good. It's our tax dollars, right? Okay, so that's cool. But Here's what they can't spend it on, new housing. What? But that's the thing we need. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Why? Well, let's think about that. There are other pots of money for that. President Glover, Glenda Baskin Glover said, we got a pipeline. We're trying to build a thousand bed project in the next few years. We need that process expedited. So there will be new housing at Tennessee State. It's like there's new housing at many public HBCUs, but the fight to get it and what they did at Tennessee, you curtail that to upkeep. All that upkeep is important because it's deferred maintenance. And if you read that Forbes uh, article, the Forbes article talks about the fact that According to them, the leading school that got shorted over the last 30 years, HBCU, was Florida Agricultural Mechanical State College for Negroes. Bam, you. Shout out to the pufferfish, because while we talk about AP, he is pushing through legislation in Florida to put the state board over the boards of trustees at these individual places he can go after the faculty. See, that's a much bigger threat than banning AP class that ain't going to handle hold up in court. That's for the headlines. He got his headline. He going on now. That's going to be struck down in court, like the earlier uh, don't say gay and all that stuff got struck down. Many of those things been challenged in court. But if you put this board of your hillbilly friends over the boards of trustees, which you're also trying to eviscerate, now you can stop FAM from hiding, hiring professors because FAM's the only public HBCU in the state. Or oh, Bethune. Shout out to Ed Reed. Ed, you'll find out, bro. It'll be all right. Everybody ain't built, you know, for a thing. Less on Ed Reed. But since 1987, FAM been shorted a billion nine in terms of state funding. But that ain't the worst. The worst is A&T, North Carolina A&T, Agricultural and Technical State College for Negroes. They've been shorted 2.8 billion. 
$2.8 billion. The gap between FAMU and the University of Florida over the last 30 years, $1.3 billion. $1.3 billion. So I'm bringing that up to say that when we talked in, in, in session 84 during the Blackburn takeover about HBCUs, we didn't know what Deion Sanders was or wasn't going to do. And that became another opportunity more recently in the in the last triad of 50, because I'm just going 50, 50, 50 as I kind of wind this up, just going back a little, about the nature and structure of these institutional struggles we have in the larger context of the center, which is what we're doing now in Narrative in Nubia. We are, have a center which we, we can look at these extensions and we can inform ourselves in how to fight and connect with people who are fighting and go forward. Shout out to the Florida A&M students who have sued the state of Florida, six student plaintiffs in a lawsuit, bringing up the funding disparities because the playbook has been shared. Just like the hillbilly playbook has been shared through ALEC, the uh, legislative executive, uh, American Executive Legislative Council where they get together and draft legislation and then it looked like it came at all these different states but it reads the exact same because that's what they drafted and then sent out to these hillbilly legislatures. Shout out to the hillbilly legislature. I know y'all ain't all from the South. I'm calling hillbilly as a pejorative that has a particular ring to it because I just think it has a nice rhythm to it. The hillbilly council gives you those. Well, guess what? We getting our own teams together. Now the lawsuits are coming and guess what? The lawsuit in Maryland Years before Westmore, his beautiful wife, and their children took the state house and got sworn in last week. Shout out to Westmore, the governor, the black governor of Maryland, with different budget priorities. Shout out to the executive team, which looks like America. I know Puff. Puff, you in Florida. We in Maryland. Let's dance. Because federalism is going to implode, brother. Because guess what? Just like China. China ain't having no babies. America, you ain't having no babies. So guess what? Demography at some point is going to force a different kind of political conversation, but how you look and how you think, two different things, but I think it's going to be a lot less secure for you. That's why you get more desperate. These are acts of desperation, but in Maryland, it ain't going to be that same conversation. Does Do elections matter? Well, yeah, elections matter. We talked about it as early as uh, session six and have talked about it many times since, but understand that in Maryland, they went to court. And they settled eventually with Larry Hogan because they forced him to settle. And a black woman was the chair of the House of Delegates in Maryland. Uh, in, in Maryland. Of course, many people in the House of Delegates, uh, alum of the HBCUs, Morgan State University, of course, Coppin State University, of course, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, of course, and Bowie State University, of course. Together, they got they get to split over nearly $600 million. Well, the FAM students, it's like, oh, so that's in addition to our annual appropriation, right? Yeah, deferred maintenance. In Tennessee, Harold Love Jr., who was a little boy running around Tennessee State campus when his daddy was a legislator. Now his daddy got a building name for him, they're going to refurbish. And young Harold Love Jr. is Representative Harold Love in the uh, Tennessee State Legislature, who pushed for, was part of people who did this report, say, y'all owe us like half a uh, half a trillion dollars. Okay, well, we'll take this first, uh, half a billion dollars. You're going to trick, we're going to get this. Uh, 250 million is the first down payment. Okay. And now the fail kids, okay, that's what y'all do. Okay, let's sue. AT pushing. All of these things are coming up at the same time because people are informing themselves. And so this struggle, what we do here on a weekly basis is bring these things up. As what, what did you call and introduce it from day one, Professor Hunter? Breadcrumbs. We don't go a deep dive, just enough for people to have the conversation. And then in 98, session 98. Um, that's when I just come back. That's November from Nashville. Last time I saw my mom on top of the earth. And of course, we had a diff difficult conversation about 
gentrification, transformation, things that are very important for us. All again, the variable element is the particular topic. The point of entry was my mom. But the fixed element are the themes that we have to continue to revisit. And then we expand it now because now Nubia is in place and we come in in that panoply of 14 and counting separate spaces connected to all these other spaces, whether it be the hub, whether it be all of the other offerings, whether it be the lists of bookstores and the list, whether it be the curated lists of music and all of that work. We see that in the final 50. Of course, for the 100th, man. You conjured all kind of superstars came in and shout out to, you know, everyone who came. We were singing and we was thinking and reflecting and everybody. I mean, this number 100 was in many ways a watershed moment that allowed us to draw from that moment in the first 50 when everybody was trapped indoors. So the Baylor Project, Gene, them come in. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun. This is when you saying that. And you and your husband, y'all get nominated for these awards. But guess what? Those awards are on the periphery. And we love it when you get them. But you are defined by who we are to each other. And that day, you blessed us in a space. I've been here. I mean, come on. All these people who we found out was in the space. Philip Bailey. I mean, oh, you know, Philip Bailey. Are you serious right now? <laughs> come on now. Everybody, that doesn't go away. Verses went from my man, you know, can't, get, can't go out and DJ. So he had his house. Then some people start saying, let's, let's get together. And then what happens? The corporation, one of the four, along with the University of the Church and, uh, and Constitutional Democracy, the corporation comes and says, let's buy this, switch it up. A few Negroes make some money, and now it's commercial as hell. Now, before that, as it's transforming in the space, the sisters come and change the whole vibe. We were talking about it in my hip-hop class on Thursday. I said, y'all remember when, uh, when verses took a turn and all y'all was indoors? They were saying, when did it take a turn? When did it go from, okay, we kind of battling, it's kind of all fun and games, Teddy Riley had structural failures in the technology, whatever. He's like, oh, we had a Jill Scott, Erica Badu. I'm going to sing your song, you sing my song. We're going to sing together. Oh, the sisters came in and that way of knowing and that cultural meaning making versus it. Then, of course, you got Gladys, you got uh, Dion Warwick, who, by the way, I saw the Gita with the heater, Jerry Blavitt, the DJ out of Philadelphia, very influential, made transition apparently early this morning, like three, four o'clock in the morning in Philadelphia. Uh, his funeral apparently is going to be a week from today. And who's giving the eulogy? Dion Warwick. <laughs> it's crazy. But anyway, it was her, Gladys Knight, Pat LaBelle. And they were together in the verses, right? But now verses commercial and play it out. And then class goes on. And that is narrative in Nubia. It goes on. Why? Because the play was never to go for the cute, shiny thing. The play was to build something that would last. And in that crack, God bless Karen Hunter. God bless all of us. We took advantage of that moment that we may never see again when the whole world stopped and say, well, I got internet access. This is what it could be. Now the world resumes. Hey, we need these people back at work. Why? Because well, I done paid all this damn rent. Hey, we need people back on campus. Why? Because we got to generate this revenue. Well, guess what? We still here doing what we doing and we got the space now that can become the center informing the periphery. Why? Because y'all on the periphery now and guess what? Some of this stuff going to collapse. The university can't keep paying. You can't keep paying 50, 60, 70, 80 stacks a year to go to school when this time last year you was in your pajamas eating your cereal, watching the thing on the screen, and the only thing changed is you moved back because they need your room and board money. And you was like, what? Hey, hey pay us a little subscription creep. Come on in there. Come on and join us in Nubia. 
continue to archive and then inform the periphery. And then at some point, we're going to figure out we really don't need all these other places. We'll get there, but the foundation has been laid. So let's let's wind it up for today. 101, we talked about Dr. King. Because remember last year, we read, where do we go from here? Chaos and community. We read Souls of Black Folk. We read the Miseducation of the Negro. Read the, the, the parable series with Octavia Butler. After we finished the course, the Introduction to African States course, we'll probably take a break and read a few books again. Reading together? Wow. Wow. Not only is it powerful, it's natural. Reminds me of Sweet Honey and the Rock when I saw they had doing things together comes naturally. We are built to do things together. That's what we're doing. Oh, where did you go to school? Did you apply to Nubia? Yeah, I applied. It's called what? I paid this little fee. I'm in. That's my application. Cool. Well, did you apply to in class? No, I'm here. Nubia is here. We have comments going back. And then we go to YouTube. People say, I don't have any money. Well, I don't know yet. Let me look. Okay, I'll, I'll see. Now people keep coming. You don't come by the, 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 the ones and twos. You come by the dozens and the hundreds and the thousands. Next thing you know, you got 2,000 people on a Monday night having a live conversation with a, with a true genius. And then, of course, in 105, Karen Hunter say, I'm not coming near none of you Negroes. I may just have a mask surgically attached to my face for the rest of my life. <laughs> But I'm gonna venture out to Hershey, Pennsylvania, because I miss y'all. And then nobody, hey, 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 hey. Mm -hmm. okay. But healthy, wealthy, and wise. And she said, "Let me get the team together." And it was taped and filmed. And so me, Sunyata, all the people—I mean, all the people—you know, like, hey, we there together. And now the world gets to see it because healthy, wealthy, and wise was number one hundred five. These are first drafts. These are first drafts. So as we kind of. Wind up. I thought about this in the context of Oriki. An Oriki is a word from the Yoruba people, which speaks to the idea of verbal and visual incantation. What's a verbal and visual incantation? We talked about this in my hip hop class on Thursday. I have them reading, among other things, uh, Roland Abiodun wrote a book on what makes the African and African art. In Nubia, you know, we covered that when we looked at the conceptual category, cultural meaning making, and Robert Frears Thompson, many others. What he says is that. A verbal or visual incantation, that's what Oriki means. And so, some people would translate that as praise poem. It's not what it means. I mean, it, it, certainly a poem could be a form, but it's a form of invocation that affirms the, uh, the, the essence of a thing. One of, my, one of my students who started coming to classes at Howard when he was a young Man, I mean, he was in the middle school at Howard, and the middle school students used to. I, I gave them an open invitation anytime y'all want to come to Canada, y'all come. So the teachers started taking the middle students over to my education in Black American class, hip hop class. And this young brother, whose mother, Lafoma, Mama Lafoma, teaches at Howard, teaches math. Young uh, Amoa Salam, he and his brother used to come. Amoa was in like seventh grade. He'd come to class, he'd been and read the stuff for class, some of the students hadn't read. He knew more about it. Well, he's now getting ready to graduate from Howard. Tells you how fast time flies. And uh, he, he, we were in the class last uh, last spring. It was still virtual, a hip-hop class. And we talked about this question of Oriki. Well, his parents are very deeply ensconced in African-centered practice and work. And they've been, you know, deep, most deeply ensconced in the Akan tradition, but also Yoruba. And so we started talking about Oriki. Because what I have the students do with this assignment is they're going to have to write an Oriki for hip-hop. 
by that, they mean they're going to have to look at a moment in the history of the cultural production we collectively call hip hop. We're going to deal with cultural meaning making. We're going to use our African studies framework always because this is Africana studies, not just random black stuff studying. We ain't got to have that argument. You ain't had an argument at the university. It's old for me, baby. We got the foundation. But in doing that, we want to introduce methods and terms drawn from our deep well, as Jake Carruthers would say, of collective Africana knowledge, our archive, as Toyin Falola would say, that is continuing to live. And so we take this concept of oriki, verbal and visual invocations that, aver that affirm the essence of a thing, that inspire you to action, that instruct you in what has happened before. And as we're talking about it, Amoa is listening, he's talking, we're having conversation. And so we're having this collective conversation. It's about 100 of us in this class online. And then, and then Amoa develops these categories of defining oriki. That's why I wind up. Amor says, it's so funny because, you know, I know Amor and his family outside of Howard. And now thinking about narrative and newbie as the center, we're family. We're growing family. We're global family. And so when we see each other in the spaces, and I, this isn't just narrative and newbie, it's people who know each other outside these institutional formations. We refer to each other differently. So he always calls me Baba because that's what you do. Certain age men, you know, men, women of certain age, mama, Baba. So he says, well, Baba, and you know, you see the students like, oh, Baba, that's his father. No, no, it's okay. It's a governance conversation. We'll all get used to it. And eventually they did. He said, Baba, you know, um, and of course, the first time he speak, he unmutes himself and says, Baba, how you doing? I said, I'm fine, man. I'm fine. I'm fine. How you doing, brother? I'm fine. You always got to ask how people are. It's a protocol to that. In fact, I'm trying to coax Angie Porter maybe Monday night, Professor Hunter, to come in when we do Frame of Question 3 to talk about her work. She just published an article on Africana legal studies. And so around yeah. the question of protocol, you know what I'm saying? So when we're answering Framing Question 3, how do Africans, uh, um, what are some of the similarities and differences between Africans in the United States and their counterparts around the hemisphere in the world when it comes to self-determination, in addition to talking about work of Cedric Robinson, bring Angie and talk about how these Africans preserved in their governance formation, how they dealt with each other, how they dealt with punishment, how they dealt with conflict resolution in Louisiana, in Virginia, in the Caribbean, so that when we see Nat Turner in Denmark recently, when we see Point Coupe, when we see Stono, when we see these places, we see them as rebellions, and they were in the social structure, but in the governance structure, there were protocols in place that these Africans had created among themselves to govern how they moved. This African states framework very important. So I'm trying to get Angie in. So anyway, so Amoa says, Baba, you know, I was thinking about this Oriki thing, and I, I want to I wanna suggest some concepts we might be able to work with. I said, thank you, brother. This is why we're here. And this is what we do all the time in Nubia. People are contributing all the time. He said, origin. An oriki is about origin. Where did you come from? Who are your people? This kind of thing. Right. So it's a verbal or visual incantation. It could be a song. It could be a poem. And we do a lot of music in here. It's, it could be a visual thing. It could be clothing. It could be anything. It could be a text. Tony Falola writes about that as well and talks about that. He says, so it's all it's origin. An oriki communicates power. When I see somebody now, at Sankofa, shout out to my people, Holly and Shriek Green. You know, I'm wearing my Sankofa joint. I travel with just some people to know, you know, because during COVID and even since COVID, as we continue to expand, whether it be Calabash, whether it be Sankofa, whether it be Madhu Bookstore in Atlanta, would be all these places that we are putting ourselves. There are people who say, well, you know, we don't have buying power. Okay, that's fine. But we're going to keep the doors open at Madhu because Mama Nia needs us. We need Sankofa because they're doing work there. And guess what? The two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can have a critique of capitalism and should have a critique of capitalism while you also support yourself. Come on into Mansa Musa's space in narrative and have this conversation about this. Ask the question about our money. 
Ask that question. You've got to do that. So anyway, he says, you know, so power. We got to convey power. He says the third is character and quality. And Arika should give Arika should give you a sense of character and quality. Trajectory. Where are you going? Where are you going? And Arika should help you understand where you're going. Circumstance. What are the what is the context of the time and space you're trying to occupy? Relationality and genealogy. Relationality and genealogy. Four, three, two, didn't even wait. I said, it's coming back in five, four, three, two. All right, so let me go again. I'm almost done. Relationality and genealogy. What's the relationship? What's the genealogy? And I'm going to end, I think I'll end with this story. Last one is name. Who are you? Your name is your name, as a man said in the, in the wire. My name in the street. My name in the street. My name is my name. Hey, we got to worry about our name being in the street. You see Nubian, Nubian. All right. I'm coming through the airport in Charlotte, North Carolina. Last night, I go into the restroom. The brother, I didn't, it had to be a brother because I didn't see the cat. You know, I'm in the restroom. And around the corner, I hear, I'm so tired of being alone. I'm so tired of all my own. Won't you help me, Lord, as soon as you can? So I'm washing my hands. The man appears. This is a guy cleaning the bathroom. Brother, I looked at him and said, the great Al Green. He looked at me and said, real music, brother. <laughs> and after that, I was in my head, right? And so I'm walking out, man, thinking, you know, relationality and genealogy, that's an oriki because it puts you in a certain time and place. One of the fixed things we do every week, we try to do something that brings us into that space. Al Green, then of course, I made the mistake of putting in the headphones and listening to the uh, to the Isley Brothers, that long version. Now, y'all know uh, uh, David Crosby of Crosby, Stills and Nash and the Birds made a transition this week. Some of y'all may know that. Some very interesting songs. This cat abused himself in so many different ways. He made it to 82, though. Uh, David Crosby, of course, maybe, you know, teach your children well. You know, that's, that's a great song. You know, beautiful, beautiful song. I don't, you know, race and the genius of cultural meaning making really don't correlate. Everybody got something to contribute. That is at the center of Africana studies. We're not anti-anybody. But we say, what y'all you, not going to do is step on our neck because we all got to contribute, right? But... So in the context of playing some David Crosby, thinking about that, I'm flipping through a play some seal. One of my father's favorite songs, Summer Breeze. He cleaned up the whole damn house, that rag in the back of his pocket. Summer Breeze. So I said, yeah, okay. Let me go put the Osley Brothers version on. And what you do with an Oriki, it takes you back to a moment and a place. You can't go back to that moment and a place. When you subscribe to Narrative and you're in Nubia, you can't go back to the 149 moments before this one in person. But what you can do is occupy the conversations we were having and in that unlock your own reflection and your own sense of the possible, your own origin, your own power, your own character and quality, trajectory, circumstance, relationality, genealogy, and name. This is not just something to reflect on. It's something to use in the form of Oriki to inspire and then direct for future action. So here it is, 
in January in the world, Northern Hemisphere is cold, and I find myself walking through the airport thinking about Ernie Isley on that guitar. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Because again, this is the archive. We're annotating. Somebody in Nubia right now, pull up this app. Because y'all know what I'm talking about. And then here come Ronald Isley. See the curtains hanging in the window in the evening on a Friday night. I see that video. He's sweating up there. You see everybody else doing this. Ah, a little light shining in the window. Let you know everything gonna be all right. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Blowing through Jasmine in my mind. And you hear that guitar. Let's end with this. No matter what we do as African people, it's going to have our mark on it. As the great James Brown said, whatsoever it is, it's got to be funky. Newbie is a funky place. As old folk you say, it stink all up in my eye. Funky. As Robert Ferris Thompson, and more importantly, his uh, kind of jegna on this issue, Baba Bunseki Fukiao might say, Lufuki, perhaps, from the concept of Kikongo, Lufuki, meaning the thing that has its essence beyond the spoken, beyond the listened to. It literally occupies all the senses. When you come into this archive, this living archive, this archive that has not only been established, but has continuity because we add to it every time we convene, you're taken back in time. You're making a moment in the now, and we are now thinking through the world we want to live in. Can't no puffer fish on the periphery do nothing about that, except get down to it. Because I suspect when he goes home late at night, takes off that oversized suit and kisses his wife, he might be putting on some Ron Isley. You never know. But I'm going <laughs> to stop with that. <laughs> oh, can't hear you, can't hear you. I said they love our rhythm, but not our blues. Oh, all, no question. You know, no, so they love our blues. They love our blues too. They just, you know, it, and it's weird. I'm watching the Harry and Meghan thing play out because the book, um, Harry's book, uh, outsold Hillary Clinton to be the fastest selling book in history. And right? I saw you put a clip on me. Y'all having that conversation. That is Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and someone said, why are white women so angry? And I was like, because Harry said the inside thing outside in marrying a black woman. Sure did. Sure did. And all of this critical race theory is, a, is the same thing, is to distance your children from desires of, you know, to, to admire, to desire, to understand. There's this clip of this woman on TikTok in a, in a workplace. And she said there was a black woman and she was just so excellent at everything. And it bothered me. And I couldn't understand why she bothered me so much. And then I realized, you know, I've been conditioned to never see her as the leader, but always as, you know, the, the ancillary, the, the help, you know, to, so, which is why it's so easy for us to steal the work of black women. because They're just there to help us. Mm. And I was like, this woman centered everything that we know inherently, she put words to it, that folk mm. are walking around. And it's not even something that they identify. 
No. Because it is conditioned in the schools, That's right? right? You learn about George Washington, not George Washington Carver. You learn about, you know, the founding fathers, not the actual people that built this country. You don't learn about them in a way that empowers them, but to always put them in a subservient position to this structure that That's was right. built to keep it that way. That's right. Well, when we start to teach kids, ask questions. That's the that's <laughs> how, that's how learning happens, right? That's right. So, so if that's this right. happens, then why? Then why? Then why? And you have to have an answer to why, and they have no answer to why. That makes no any man. logical sense. So, what we do to me every Saturday and beyond, and Monday is to crack and away. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> and Sunday, Monday. Come yeah, on now, Friday, come on, Sherelle. All of that. <laughs> so, so I'm just I'm just grateful to be here because you know as I as you're talking I'm taking notes it is sparking oh. something and which is what the breadcrumbs are supposed to do send me down rabbit holes make me you know understand that we have already won we just got to yes. step, step into the oneness mm. right that's all we got to do step into the oneness we won already that we won already we won already isn't that something just how, it's just that close and just that difficult but thank thanks to what we're all building together and thanks to the fact that you didn't have to do that. Well, I guess maybe you did because it's your character as, as a more would say it's in your character to do this. You know, we have a space where the only thing between us is us and we can do whatever we want and we see the world transform. And it's, 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 you know, I've said this before. Somebody was like, your humility. I was like, "Mm, I'm still working on the humble part, but this is obedience. What you're seeing uh, is, is obedience to, uh, to a, a need that we absolutely had. And I'm like, uh, I'm doing it in every area, you know? Yeah. And it, it's a slow, steady drumbeat, which is why there's no like large marketing campaign. There's no big, you know, flashy thing, billboards and let's go and all, all the social media. No, because it has to be built by the people. Which means right. you have to come holy. Right. You can't come, we're going to do another session, Uraeus, Carl and I, um, the end of, of uh, the month on Monday at noon. For the new people who are trying to figure out how to navigate this space. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's and not I saw clear. the uh, that was that that was a pop up with uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yeah, no, he came. Yeah, he um, yeah, he came. You know what's powerful about that interview? He evoked the name of Daniel Black. I was going to ask you, did you know that Dan is on? I that didn't album? know. I didn't <laughs> know. So he was like, "Yeah, Dr. Daniel Black is yeah. all about the album." I I met. I had an interview with him for an hour, and I just pulled pieces of that and that was the inspiration for the music that Malcolm Jamal Warner did Malcolm named for Malcolm Jamal named for you know like his his whole name is rooted in this his daddy went to a HBCU and he mm. said he wanted to be a poet his daddy went to the school because Langston Hughes went to that school so he he wanted to be like Langston Hughes it's it's the, wow. the connectivity I can't wait to talk to Dr. Daniel Black about that no question no question but even that I didn't know this man and I feel embarrassed and ashamed that I didn't, no, not at I didn't all. know him. I read, I read, you know, a lot of stuff. Never no read the coming. So thank you. Well, you know, it's it's what we do here. Dan has spent his entire life, like so many of us, in black spaces. It's a very deliberate choice. And when, and when you do that, then ultimately we will find each other if we spend our time. And that's what you do. So it was only a matter of time. I laugh about it because again, no, no shade on the NBCP Image Awards. I'm looking at these nominees and I'm saying some people, oh yeah, and I'm seeing other people like, really? And I'm like, okay, no bearing on us. And as we know, and you know this better than all of us, there will probably, if this trajectory continues, and I'm sure it will, there'll come a day when they come 
and say, we'd like to nominate you for, mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you can't kill us, so now you want to join us. That's how it works. <laughs> and guess what? But you can't swallow this because you think you know, but you don't know, and that's fine. Because we ain't mad at nobody. Humility in the in, in so many traditions that at least I'm aware of in Africa, humility is demonstrated by behavior. It ain't about what you say. So the humility you have is the humility of the of the, your your walk. We're all together because of that humility, and that is the highest expression of character. That's the high, and that's what is detested in the corporate suites. It's detested in the university system. That's why you can have bad character and be a university president or a chair of board of trustees because it ain't about your character. It's about the rank and position. That's what Marimba and E would call the rhetorical ethic. But how do we know somebody? We know somebody is good by how they act, by how they behave. And so that's what, what you do, as Mario would say, I'm sure he would say, if you say, nefer, nefer for the ancient Egyptian word for beautiful. That beauty is a beauty of behavior, not a beauty of physical appearance, not a beauty of what we say. It's a beauty of behavior. So you, 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 your beauty is in every moment that we all spend together. And we want to thank you for that. We pay the Bali for that. Listen, I, I want to thank everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to ask everyone to be patient as well, because, you know, roots are, you know, it's three years. <sighs> Three years, Nubia ain't even two years old. How about um, that? Let the roots take hold. You know, I know there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that we need to do. And and we get excited because it's all of the things your eyes yes. get big. But we're we're gonna do this in a very methodical way. Understand that there is a game plan, there is there is a there there, just the rhythm of it, just sit in it, sit in it, think about your brick, make sure your brick is whole. Don't come in mm -hmm. here to get fixed, fix right. yourself. Go get, you know, counsel, whatever you need to do. Come, <laughs> come in your full self because we need whole bricks because we're not going to start over again. We're not going to do that broken obelisk thing. We no. need to build off of the strength of all of us, which means we have to be strong. So uh, those of you who are still struggling, you know, trying to find your way, find your way. You got a great community of folk who are, are here no to question. help. We're not no here question. to fix. No. That's your job. So no, we, we, we can do it together. And we will. Dr. Carr, um, enjoy your time. I'll see you. Yeah, yeah. Day. I just had to sit down for a minute. Just say this. You look, you look marvelous, sir. You oh, look marvelous. Well, you look marvelous. Hey, hey, look, you, I'm you say my life. I haven't been back. I've been back on that campus at work on the periphery of what we're doing, obviously, for two years, or two years, for two weeks. And it's a very different thing. When you walk through a space and young people are coming to you and say, my mama's a Nubian. Say, so I had to take your class. Uh -huh. Oh, I watch y'all. We watch y'all on Saturdays. We? Oh, yeah, my whole family. And then they showing up. And, and you realize, I don't think, and we don't, not that we, it's not our concern. People don't understand. We are doing that work, and it's showing up. It's already showing up. Like you said, this is, the, we at the beginning, and it's showing up. So that's, I'm sure a lot of that is restorative. So I just said, I'll step away for a couple of days now to just sit and reflect on it, because, you know, we, Negro History Month is coming up, and so, you know, we got to. Well, listen, we'll address that. We'll get to that. Coming. Love you huh? all. Love you all. 150 you. counting. See you in the Nubian streets. Dr. Carr, I love you. I love you too. And you, you always shining. So, you know, that beauty is out there. <laughs> love, you. love you. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye.